Hey you, welcome to Taylor Shapers of Influence podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and things that will influence us. We'll dissect the integrated worlds of marketing, pop culture, and everything in between, from fashion to sports to entertainment. We're not only creating conversations, we're leading them too. Join us. Hello and welcome to another edition of Taylor Shapers of Influence Podcast. All this month, we are celebrating with a special podcast series, exploring the meaning and impact of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. My name is Anna Rose Rupright, and I will be your host. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Jen Bu Also and Carla Wilkie. Jenbu and Carla are both naturalized citizens of the U.S. and work with me at Taylor. In part one, we talked about their unique paths to naturalization. Today, we continue our conversation with Jenbu and Carla about how becoming a U.S. citizen was linked to their desire to vote in this country. Hello again, ladies. Welcome back to Shapers of Influence. Was fully right one of the reasons you pursued U.S. citizenship? Yes. It wasn't a main reason, but it was definitely one of them. How about you, Carla? Yes, one of the most frustrating parts of being a green card holder is that you are subject to all of the laws of the United States. You pay taxes, you do all those things, but you have absolutely no say whatsoever as who's in local government and who gets to be voted in as president. And that is an incredibly frustrating process. And you have to hold your green card for a minimum of five years before you're allowed to naturalize. So during that period, because you are, you're, you're actively a citizen of the country in every respect, except for the right to vote. So um, that is, you get to a point you're like, you know what, you're taking my taxes, you're using my tax money, I'm living here, I'm participating in all of these things, I absolutely want to say in who gets voted in and, and how the country itself is managed. Was it hard uh, to take the oath of allegiance? That's a good question. It wasn't hard for me, because I already knew that's what I wanted to do, and I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it was a big deal. It was a big deal in a sense that, you know, I, I gained this freedom to, to fully become American, but to also embrace the Americanism. Um, but I also didn't feel like, like it was this thing that was going to alter who I was. I don't know if that makes sense. But to me, taking the oath, it wasn't hard because I'd already been taking the oath when I was in school. This is something that we do all the times in the morning, Pledge Allegiance to the United States. So saying it there in front of everybody, my family my family and friends were, were there to support me. They filmed it. So to a lot of people, it was a big deal. To me, it was a big deal, but not on that level. How about you, Carla? It felt huge. I actually... Um... When I think about it now, I actually feel a little bit emotional. I think the American anthem, like the Star Spangled Banner, for me is one of the most beautiful national anthems anywhere. And because I was making the choice actively, it felt really huge. So I felt it felt solemn. I felt proud. I felt overwhelmed. And it was like bearing the mantle like uh, taking on a bit, I, I, it's how I imagine mayors feel when they get, when they accept 
um, an oath of responsibility, it felt like a really big thing. Because when you're born into a country, you don't necessarily think about what you are promising to do. You don't think about laws and government in the way that you do when you are deciding as an adult that you're exiting one, one thing and embracing something else. So it was big big, emotional. It felt serious. It felt solemn. And it felt, as I said, in that moment, I was both proud to be becoming American, but I also felt like a traitor, like I was abandoning my country of birth, which was difficult. Did you register to vote at your oath ceremony or after? I registered on the day of the ceremony. They asked you. So when they asked me, I said, yes, register me now. And they did. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I... I think, because it's a long while ago now, I think that they, I think that I did. Um, I remember having difficulty about what party because they ask you to like create affiliation. I remember that, that question, but I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think that they did. I know that they, they certainly do now, um, that they, you know, they register you at the ceremony itself. What was the first vote you took part in and how did that make you feel? Um, it felt good to be able to vote. I so the anticipation to the day of the voting was enormous to me. I've never voted in my life. I've never voted. That was my first vote. It wasn't a presidential vote. So I voted in um, a state elections vote. And it was at the school I was working at, at Harvard College. So I just, on my lunch break, I just walked down and everybody was there. They were giving out cookies and juice and stuff. So I went in and I was really nervous. I didn't expect myself to be as nervous on that day, but I was really, really nervous. But the process was so easy afterwards I was like oh my god I was getting nervous for no reason it was so easy but it was good how about you Carla it was Bill Clinton and maybe one of the Bushes I feel like it was in and around that time it was I remember it being a presidential election was my first one and then it was absentee ballot uh when Hillary Clinton uh, ran so yeah a long time ago but it was a presidential election and I remember it being overwhelming I remember standing I couldn't believe how long the lines were to get to the front and I think it was the first time I was a little bit overwhelmed by you think you're going just to at the time I thought I was just going to vote for the presidential candidates and then you see all of the other stuff start to unfold and I wasn't as educated and prepared as I should have been I think for my first vote which has subsequently changed because it's such a big responsibility but uh, going into the closing the curtain doing the stuff kind of it, it was quite a thrilling quite a thrilling moment. How do you two inform yourself about the candidates and the issues? For me, I always um, look up on our website. Like this presidential election, actually this year right now, when all the candidates um, came out, I literally went through everybody's website and I read everything about them and what their plans were. And of course, I had a preference after reading everything and and it wasn't someone who was so popular. So this is my very first presidential election. Prior to that, I just used to listen to the news and I remember I was being so influenced by everybody else's opinions and what everybody else think about the different um, candidates. But now that I know I'm actually going to take part in this vote, I'm very much intentional in the information that I listen to and the information that I, I go out and research. So for me, I do a lot of my research online and I do watch the news a little bit, but the news is not my primary outlet to learn about the candidates. 
I, similar to Jennifer, am a fan of um, going online, looking at websites, looking at political roundups where they stack candidates against each other, against the issues. I find that to be the most practical comparative way to see who stands for what on the various issues. I don't always find the debates to be um, informative. Um, I don't find, sometimes I think that the focus is is not quite where it needs to be and they stray, you stray away from the issue and it ends up being more of a targeting of the person versus the issue itself. So I, I'm a, a definite proponent of a lot of online research and looking at uh, reading what political analysts are saying, looking at comparisons between the candidates so I can get the best overview of, of who's who's running and what they stand for. Carla, with your experience in South Africa during and at the end of apartheid, how did that inform your decisions and how you move through life here in America? Being growing up in the, the apartheid era in South Africa, watching the transition of apartheid, starting work in post-apartheid South Africa and seeing the first votes is probably one of the most powerful experiences that I've had as a, an adult to see people waiting on queues that went kilometers long and having the opportunity to vote for the first time, many of them unable to read or write, understanding how important it is to have a voice, to use your voice, to empower others to exercise that voice, I think has been pretty profound. There's a dignity that's involved in voting. There's a pride at being able to vote. There's a sense of having sway and influence and importance that I think gets stripped away when you don't have that opportunity. So. How do you feel your years as a resident shaped your views of the U.S. and the voting process? That's a really difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I can say, I think, about living in the United States and especially living um, in New York City for the past uh, 12 years is that I find voting to be a very personal and a very intimate process. I never had, and maybe New York City is unique in, in that Um, in that manner, but you have more of a face-to-face and direct connection with political candidates. I find in in New York, uh, you'll be walking around in your neighborhood and you'll see people whose faces you've seen on posters and you'll see people who you've seen on television speaking about various issues and folks standing at the subways, uh, pre-COVID, shaking your hand, talking with you, wanting to engage you on issues of importance that impact you um, as a New Yorker um, and as a US citizen in a way that I never experienced in South Africa. So um, for me, it's, I find that there's an an intimacy to it. There's a a sense of responsibility and there's a heightened sense of engagement. And that process, um, I do feel that there there are probably areas of the voting process that could be improved and streamlined a little bit. Um, Sometimes it feels sort of very manual and how it goes about and it, it feels like there could be areas of improvement there. But, but overall, I, uh, I would say it's, for me, it's just been more intimate, more engaged, um, but more personal. What about you, Jenbo? I didn't actually, I've never met a candidate yet. Um, I do remember though, in 2008, when President Obama was running, it did drive through my neighborhood. Uh, and there was a lot of people on the street, you know, trying to shake his hand, but of course he couldn't because He's just driving down, right? So that's very different, Carla, 
it being in New York and experiencing something like that. I've never experienced something like that, but being a resident for the most part and seeing most of my friends being able to vote. When I was in high school, middle school, I didn't really care about political stuff like that because I was a kid. I wasn't thinking about stuff like that. I had high school stuff to worry about. Then when I became 18 and in my 20s, I still wasn't too worried about it in my early 20s until I realized that um, how much voting can count, right? It was after President Obama's second election and stuff like that. And um, I started watching documentaries. Mainly, I was watching documentaries about policies in Africa and um, political views in Africa and stuff like that. But then, of course, I started looking at the American policies and how it shapes my life, how it affects me and how it has affected me. And that's when I got engaged, right? I, I started going to protests and stuff like that. And I started wanting to speak out a little bit more and really take a stance as a person. And I actually dove in and I did some research on the different political parties and what they all stand for and why people, I didn't want to just be a Republican or Democrat or anything just because the majority of my friends and family are. I wanted to do the research myself and I found a lot of documentaries talking about the different political parties and I did a lot of research myself and I did a lot of reading so that I can be my own person you know I can choose which political party I want to be a part of so for me this year means a lot this this voting year means a lot to me because it means that I'm not just voting to follow people, I'm voting based on my own understanding and my own research. And to me, that means a lot. What privilege do you think national board citizens take for granted the most? I think their ability to vote. There's a lot of people I talk to, my friends now in their 20s, some in their 30s, who, like, the last presidential vote, I talked to some people, they're like, oh, I didn't vote. Why didn't you vote? Because I didn't want to vote. I didn't, they didn't have a candidate that I wanted to vote from. Like, so did you research any of these candidates to figure out any of them is close to anything that you, you see as your view? And they just seemed uninterested. And I think that's just unfortunate that they have this privilege in this great country to actually impact change, but they don't take part in it. I think for myself personally, I'd agree the right to vote, but I also think that Americans take for granted how well the U.S. Uh, judicial system works. I don't think that anyone that hasn't been a part of the system, hasn't gone through the naturalization process, has tried to do a similar thing in another country, realizes how relatively seamless it is, like how thoughtful, how structured the process is. That for me has been something that has really stood out. If you're you're naturalizing, if you fill out the form, you follow the process, justice is served, the legal system works. And that's something that I haven't seen play out quite as well in other areas of the world. How do you feel about voting during the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote in the US? I feel privileged and I feel great. I cannot wait to go in the voting booth and just vote because I know the process that I took to get there. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, I think uh, we're standing on the shoulders of giants that walked before us who fought hard for the right to vote, who sacrificed a lot and were fierce and fearless. So I, I feel very privileged, very lucky, and like I need to show up and represent. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that it's only 100 years. It just seems wild. 
that it's such a short period of time. It's almost mind-boggling. It was wonderful to hear your story, Jennifer. Thank you. You as well. Thank yeah. you for having me, you guys. Thank you very much, Jennifer and Carla, for joining us to talk about women's right to vote in the U.S. Happy voting to you both. Join us next time when we speak with one of our client partners about her journey to the ballot box and what the vote means to her. See you then. Well, that's it for this episode of Taylor Shapers of Influence podcast miniseries, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, giving women the right to vote. Well, that wraps up this episode of Taylor Shapers of Influence. To learn more about what we do at Taylor, you can find us at taylorstrategy.com. Looking for more episodes of the podcast? Find us wherever you stream stuff. We're on iTunes and other major streaming platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Taylor Strategy. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in. Peace.